This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. The novel coronavirus pandemic, like every disease, has shown the stark divides in healthcare access in this country. Those most likely to get sick are the poor, people of color, and people with pre-existing health conditions. Alongside modern medicine, the hospitals, doctors, and nurses are more traditional practices of healing. Think of performative rituals that come from Africa, from Haiti, from Latin America, and elsewhere. These practices are not peer-reviewed in scientific journals, but they are forms of indigenous knowledge that date back thousands of years. Christina Novikov Ritchie studies folk practices of peasants and villagers in the Balkans, that's the area of southeastern and central Europe, where Yugoslavia was until it broke up in the early 90s. Christina is a doctoral candidate in the World Arts and Culture's Dance Department at UCLA. So I look at healing practices, dance practices, music, a lot of different types of what I would broadly categorize as performance that people practice in villages or in other um, sort of smaller communities in the Balkans. What do they call it there? What is the name or the names that they use to describe these practices? Yeah, it depends on where you are. But the practices that I have looked at, which are incantation-based healing practices, are generally called bayanye, bayachki if you're in Macedonia. could be called vrachanye if you're in eastern Serbia, usually with Vlach communities. Um, there's a few other terms, but vrachanye and bayanye are really the most common Vrachanye referring more to um, divination practices, where Bayanye is more referring to incantations that are used to heal both more like minor physical illnesses, skin infections, trouble sleeping, impotence, and then also uh, what we would categorize in the U.S. as mental illnesses like depression uh, and anxiety. And are these still widely practiced? Yeah, they they are actually still practiced very frequently. It of course depends on where you are and as a consequence of rural depopulation, it does seem as though it's practiced less frequently, but you can really find someone who can uh, who is still practicing these healing practices in any uh village that you're in. You'll be able to find someone And these are both men and women who practice? Yeah, it's more women, but uh, one of the groups that I work with who are Vlach people, which are related to Romanians in eastern Serbia, that's much more equal between men and women, whereas um, most of the Bayanye practitioners are women. And how do they learn? Is it something that's like passed down through generations or is there some apprenticeship program or some, how do they know how to do this? Yeah, there's some flexibility around how people learn to practice, but generally speaking, it's either inherited through like dreams essentially. So they gain the ability to heal through dreams and that's more common for people who practice divination. And then for people who are doing bayanye and treating um, these more maybe mundane illnesses, that's usually passed down from grandparents, like grandmothers to granddaughters, or 
more traditionally, it would be a mother-in-law passing it down to her daughter-in-law. Um, and in that case, it's not so much that they teach them how to practice it, but that this person would have been watching them for a long time. And then at some point, the um, grandmother, the mother-in-law would allow them to overhear the words to the incantation. And that's what the formal process of transmission looks like. So you met a woman who uh, practices Bayanye. Um, her name was Maya, is that mm -hmm. right, in Eastern Serbia. Can you tell me about what you did with her, what this practice looked like when you went to visit her? Yeah, so this is a much older woman in Eastern Serbia in a village. Um, Maya is a pseudonym, but uh, I went to her with some friends of mine who work in a town that's kind of near this village. And we wanted to just sort of get a glimpse into what her practice was and what it meant for her. And so we did a lot of different things that day, including, I guess most significantly, she's well known for her ability to sing a particular song that is able to bring the dead back down to earth, essentially to like join the people who are gathered in this group. Um, and especially so that those dead people can indulge in uh, more terrestrial uh, pleasures again, like smoking and drinking and things like that. So she sang this, prompted by one of our friends, she started to sing this song to call down uh, her dead husband to sit with us. And it's really incredible to hear this type of singing, which I wouldn't really relate to music so much as incantations or chants or something like that, where there's no music and there is a sort of melody, but it's really more about the intense quality and emotional quality of her voice. Um, and then we spent time talking just about her experiences. She also is friends with other healers. So we were talking about uh, some experiences she had had in the past of having like gasoline stolen from her car and going to see this other male healer nearby who predicted that that thief was going to meet an unpleasant fate with a bull which uh, he, they were impaled a few weeks later and had to go to the hospital. So, uh -huh. yeah, a lot of kind of really remarkable things happen. And she, yeah, she's a really fascinating person. So then there's another healer that you spent some time with and you visited her and her name was Selma. Mm -hmm. And here she actually did sort of a ritual that involved pouring molten lead into water as sort of a healing practice. Tell me more about what that was like. Yeah, so I have a longer relationship to Selma. I've been to her, to, I've spent three summers with her uh, in Macedonia. She's a Bosnian woman, but she lives in a village in Macedonia. And her specialty is this practice called Salivanya Strava, which literally roughly translates to melting the fear or pouring the fear. Um, so she uses lead and melts this lead in order to be able to freeze that molten lead in water and essentially read what's going on with you 
what's happening health-wise for you, not in any like restricted biomedical sense, but really like what's your social health like, your relationship health, as well as your mental health. Salivanya Strava is most often used to deal with things that we would call depression or anxiety. And so she's just really involved using these tools like lead, like the embers that are in the stove. She's reading and interpreting these materials to understand essentially how to intervene in mental health issues that people have in the community. And so I've been through this personally uh, several times where she's treated me. And I've also dealt with it um, in performance because in addition to being an academic, I kind of straddle the line between academic and performance artist. So I've really taken what she's shared with me and then explored how she prescribes these bathing rituals for people to complete after the lead melting process is done, where you're essentially cleansing yourself of this fear. And so I've documented that process for myself and enacted different performance-based scenarios to just try to understand her better. But can you describe the ritual of when you're in the tent with her Mm -hmm. and she's pouring the lead? And there's, there's multiple stages to this, right? Yeah. The first thing that happens is that she ignites a piece of paper to light the wood stove to get a fire going. And after doing that, she hands you a piece of lead, which is still in its intact state. You blow on that piece of lead And that's her first information that she's getting from you. She's able to feel, okay, there's something wrong. Um, I think it's probably fear. Uh, And that's like her first inclination of sort of what's going on with you. She says that she feels when you blow on the lead that she feels how you feel inside. And so then she puts the lead into a device inside of the stove and using a sickle, you know, like the hammer and sickle like the to to trim wheat so she uses Mm -hmm. this sickle to break it apart and stir it as it becomes liquid and then she throws a sheet over your head and your body so you can't see anything and she pours that lead into a pot of water first above your head then in front of your face and then lower down in your abdomen um and then she reads She takes the sheet off of you, or actually you have to take the sheet off of yourself. And then she starts to describe what she's reading. She's narrating what's going on with you, what shapes she sees, very similar to kind of how people read coffee grinds. Um, And so she's giving you a sketch saying, okay, in an example, past example for me, it's been, okay, you're giving too much of your energy away to other people. You are uh, giving everything and receiving nothing in return. Uh, You need to start becoming more aware of what reciprocity looks like in your personal relationships because it's causing not only like sleeplessness and anxiety, but also like physical pains, like pain in your leg. And she's really connecting sort of all these different pieces. 
And then it happens one more time. So she remelts the lead. Once again, you put the sheet over you and she pours it again. And then a piece breaks off eventually of that lead. There's like a loud cracking sound. And that piece is what she refers to as your heart. And so you take the sheet off. Then she's giving you sort of prescriptive advice of, okay, we know it's wrong. This is how you need to fix it. You have to sleep with this piece of lead under your pillow while you're bathing yourself with that water that the lead had been dropped into several times a day. Your hair, your face, your body, your legs, you have to do each of those three times and you need to do that until there's no more water left. And then as all of that ends, then you have to throw that piece of lead into a river and then you're done. The process is complete. Wow, that's that's a pretty complicated process. And what are you thinking as she's doing all this? Are you do you feel very open to it or are you sort of skeptical? Yeah, I think when I first started going to her, I was just kind of struck by how intensely intimate that relationship was because it's not really something even in therapy I mean, therapy is intimate too, but this was sort of an intimacy that wasn't worked towards. It just existed from that first moment of we're going to talk about the most painful things in your life and we're going to figure out, we're kind of like going to dig around in there and see what's going on. And so the first time I went, I was just like totally overwhelmed by that. And it's really hot because it's, you know, it's summer, it's like 100 degrees already. And then there's a wood stove and you're in this like small little building with a, a fire and it's hot outside and there's animals around and cigarette smoke and all like, I think I was just kind of overwhelmed. And then over time, I started being a little like kind of letting my own rational mind in a little bit more. But that intimacy never goes away, even when I would start to ask myself like, okay, but is this, is this really something that's going to happen to me? Is this healing me or not? Um, which I try not to be too skeptical about because I'm not interested necessarily in whether this is real or not, or if it's, if they're doing what they say they're doing or not. I'm more interested in um, the type of relationship that's being fostered and that remained consistent throughout and Selma's worked with many patients. I mean, this isn't like a random thing. This is like her livelihood. Yeah. She has like sometimes like 500 people in a weekend who come to see her. Wow. Uh, she's really well known for her skills. And she is healing a, a mix of what you'd say are physical and emotional or mental ailments. It's everything, like you said, from anxiety to, and depression to maybe like heart issues or like runs the gamut. Yeah, it really ranges. Her and everyone else who practices Bayanye have specialties, things they're really known for. Um, though treatment of any illness could theoretically fall under that scope. But some people are known, like she's known for treating what's what she calls fear or evil eye problems. And she's really known for treating like colic in babies. Um, yeah. And when you say she's known, I mean, people come from far and wide to seek out her services. It's not just like the local healer. Yeah, people come from other countries to see her. Wow. And how far back do these practices go? I mean, is this like hundreds of years or is it relatively recent that these techniques were developed as far as you know? 
Definitely hundreds of years. I mean, you can see references to incantation-based practices in the region going back indefinitely, essentially. But you see Bayanye specifically being written about starting in the early 19th century. But I wouldn't really necessarily attribute that to, oh, this is sort of the renaissance of Bayanye, and more that would I would attribute more to how literacy is functioning in the region and um, the sort of emergence of a bourgeois class of scholars who were interested in local tradition. And in terms of how the state and official medical authorities treat Bayanye and traditional healers like Selma and Maya, are they kind of left alone to do what they want? Or is there a real effort to stamp them out and to get rid of these more traditional pre-modern healing practices? Yeah, they're generally left to do their practices. It's not heavily regulated in the way that, say, Roma healers in urban areas are quite heavily policed. But in rural areas, it's much less common and it's more implicit in terms of how the region is represented as being backwards because of the fact that people still participate in these types of healing rituals, which are seen as just superstition, oftentimes but also by people who still go to these healers. Like you'll meet plenty of people who will deride these types of superstitions while at the same time when something happens or if like, you know, their baby won't stop crying, they're still going to go to the healer, even though they think it's just superstition. Mm -hmm. Have you talked to other uh, patients who go to get healed by by any uh, healers and do they seek out Western medicine as well? Is it sort of like you try both and see which one works? Yeah, there's definitely a blending of them. There is an issue that in the post-socialist period, like social services in general have really dropped off and it's a lot harder to get um, good medical attention, especially in more remote villages. It just like isn't happening. So I really have never seen any sort of like flat out rejection of, oh, I'm only going to go to traditional healers. I'm not going to try to see a biomedical doctor for certain ailments. I mean, if you have cancer, you're probably going to go to through both routes. You're going to try to treat it in a clinic and you're also probably going to go see a healer um, in one of these who's practicing a more traditional approach. But there's not really, even even the healers themselves will go to the doctor. They're not going to heal everything for themselves. But there's those specific things like, like fear, like evil eye, or these problems that really just can't be treated in any way in the clinic. So that's your only option. Would you compare what they do um, in the Balkans to, say, like a fortune teller or tarot card reader here and the way they're sort of viewed in popular culture? I would say that there's not the same implication or assumption that they're trying to scam you because of how differently the payment system works. So I think there is, maybe not in LA, people are pretty open to like, tarot and stuff at this point and like astrology and other things but there is like a pretty hefty price tag that's attached to those services especially if you're going to someone who's reputable 
Whereas in the case of Bayanye, you there is no price. There's no set price that you need to pay. You just leave however much money you want to. And if they do a lot for you, of course, you're expected to leave a lot, but there's no sort of like entrance fee, which then can introduce a lot of doubt into whether or not this person is scamming you. So I think that's a big difference, even if they're both somehow related to the idea of divination and being able to interpret how your present context relates to your past and your future and how to intervene in that. But is there proof that Bayanye works? Like, has have there been research or studies done to show like this person came in with this issue and now that issue has been resolved and we could somewhat definitively say it was this Bayanye intervention that led to that? Or is it pretty much all anecdotal? Yeah, there haven't been any systematic studies of that, of the efficacy of the incantations themselves. I will say that usually these healers also, depending on the issue, will prescribe like herbs and other things to you if you're dealing with like a physical problem. So there is like plant medicine that's also going into it that I think you can find more support for, even if it's not a study that's locally done, but that the, you know, there are studies in ethnobotany and other fields that these particular plants are effective in treating these various ailments. Um, But there hasn't been any studies of Bayonnier's efficacy in terms of the incantations, I think largely because the people who are doing these types of studies have already just written off the practice as necessarily just this like superstitious tradition that one day will die out, even though it hasn't yet and doesn't really seem like it's going to. You know, in Western medicine, you go to see a doctor and generally that doctor looks at your own individual health, but they don't look at much beyond you as an individual. What can we learn from Bayenye and how it looks at much broader social issues that might cause you to feel unhealthy? And how could we apply that to coronavirus today? I mean, just the one thing that I think about a lot about Bayanye is the way that it isn't just treating problems that are individual, but it often looks at how collective problems or community problems are causing illness. If you're thinking about, say, the problems that arise from a lack of reciprocity in social relations or um, from stealing or there's illnesses that come about from hoarding things uh, like having too many livestock or um, too much wealth essentially that turns that turns into a type of illness Mm. and I think that understanding of how broader social issues and sort of the breaking of social contracts and response social responsibility manifests in illness there's something about that that really resonates for me and the way that coronavirus is revealing the much deeper structural problems of care and health that are in our society at large both you know environmental and also what are workers worth more than their labor or not you know all of these issues are really coming to the forefront during this pandemic and i think for me it's been helpful to 
reflect on how Bayanye and other community-based um, health traditions really look at health as being a continuum between the individual and between the physical and the mental and these broader like community level and societal level issues. So hmm. I think there is something there to be spoken about because I don't think we can talk about the pandemic as just being an issue of this virus that's out of control and that we don't understand how it works. But the conditions for the virus to flourish are structural um, and they are set up by the economic system that we live in and how borders function, which human lives are valued or not. The pandemic needed those conditions in order to explode in this way. And so I think that it's important to reflect on how the social and the individual physical body relate to each other right now. That's Christina Novikov-Ritchie. She's a PhD candidate in the UCLA Department of World Arts and Culture's Dance. And we want to hear from you. How are you healing during this time of sickness and anxiety? Are there rituals or practices that you've established to take care of yourself? Email us at worksinprogress at arts.ucla.edu. I'm Avishai Artsy, and this is Works in Progress, a production of the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. Our music is composed by Austin Danson. Take care and talk to you soon.